Sinatra. Hi. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Escape from San Francisco podcast. Uh, my, my guest today is someone that has his very own podcast, the Public Education Podcast. And today we're going to talk about why he got started um, with this podcast and who is it for? Uh, what is he doing trying to change uh, people's per- per, um, perceptions and um, who he is as a person? And without further ado, uh, Mr. Clay, uh, how do you say your last name? Morrow, Morrow. Morrow, I didn't want to mess it up. I was like, yeah. no, you're good. That was a little tough one. I'm telling you right now, I, I jack up people's last names all the time. So I like to kind of like sit there and see how people say it and then be like, all right, it's okay. Because it makes me feel good about myself whenever I have 50 kids in my class and I'm trying to say their last names. I'm like, I jacked up 25 of them. So um, hi, uh, Aaron, thank you, buddy, for having me on. I, I really appreciate you reaching out and I think you're doing an, an awesome job. We talked a little bit before we started this bad boy and uh, I, I appreciate your mission. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. No, thank you for coming on at such short notice. Um, I, I appreciate you know the talk we had prior to this and uh, I really want to kind of dive in to see uh, what this podcast uh, is all about. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier, but can you reiterate what you're yeah, stating about your podcast? So public education uh, is a podcast that was kind of a passion project that I've been wanting to do for uh, a little bit because I listen to podcasts in the morning. Um, I'll just kind of give the whole background and then it'll explain a little bit about why I started it. So I was training for my wedding. Um, I got married this last year to my beautiful wife, Emily. Um, and right now we have our, our daughter on the way, which is why I'm wearing this hat that my yet again beautiful wife Emily bought me. Um, but I, while we were training, I was working out so much and like trying to just get in such good shape just to look good in the wedding photos and everything. And I, I got sick of listening to music because you you know eventually like you hear so much music that you're just like I can't listen to beats anymore. And I've never listened to podcasts like in my life. And so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this whole podcast deal out. Let's see what it is. I looked up a couple of them. I started with obviously Rogan. I got into like Pardon My Take. I started listening to Two Bears, One Cave. Like I just and I really enjoyed it. And so. I kind of, as I was a couple of months when I was like, you know, I, I could probably do a podcast, you know, I could, I could probably do something. I, I'm, I'm okay at talking. Um, and eventually like it, it came to a thing like, you know, oh my gosh, uh, you know, can't believe all, all your kids are stuck at home and, and they can't believe how much teachers do for them. And then people really valued school for like the first six months of COVID. But then there was like this weird change in, in America where education and teachers and you know just the whole school system and the education system in general became vilified like how aren't schools open why am i still dealing with my kid you know how are they learning on distance ed why are there standardized ed- or tests and i felt so much pressure especially down here in the vegas valley that you know we as educators like we have so much put on our backs and then the public on top of that is calling us you know lazy and they're calling us incompetent and so instead of instead of me going on any social media and freaking out and you know doing something that might have put my own career in jeopardy i decided to fight fire with kindness and i i realized that like people just they don't appreciate teachers and education and educators because they don't they don't view them as people like it's an institution. It's become so institutionalized. And I, I asked you this before and I was like, hey, you know, when I say the word teacher, do you think of inspiration? Do you think of someone that, you know, is there to be a beacon of success for you? No, you probably think of someone that's giving you homework. You probably think of someone that will give you detention or so. It's a, it, we're a person to please and to try to not get in trouble from, which that isn't how education should be. Teachers are very kind of selfless people in, in my you know, run-ins with them and my field. Like, 
you, you, you do amazing work, like we talked about before, with, you know, the Native American populations of California, and you're working with helping them uh, rehabilitate, and that's amazing. But just like you, I'm a civil servant that doesn't get paid enough to get crapped on all day. So I decided to start the Public Education Podcast, um, and what I do is I bring teachers on that have these awesome stories that humanize them. The whole point is realistic, realistically to humanize people. And I want, I want, I want the public to know. I want to educate the public on who educates them. So, for example, I brought on uh, a woman named uh, Karen Olson, and she ran before she was a teacher. Before she ever was a teacher, she ran her own record label down here and made, you know, tons of money selling country music with her then husband. And then the crash of 08 happened, and just panic mode. She had three kids. She didn't know what she was going to do. So she went and she became a special education teacher, and now she runs our entire business department. But instead of, you know, parents knowing that, they just walk in and they see, oh, that's Mrs. Olson. And it's like you have no personality behind it. So, yeah, the whole point for the podcast is just to humanize educators in in hopes of making education a place that's a a beacon of knowledge and not a institutionalized, like, punishment for 12 years of your life. Yeah. I I respect uh, educators. I I have several friends that are educators. I have one here in San Francisco, the San Francisco Unified District. I have a, a friend that's in Madera Unified District. He's actually a head baseball coach. And so oh, um, he probably can relate to what you have to do, uh, teaching and also uh, being a head coach at the, or being a coach at the same time. It's mm-hmm. um, probably the challenge um, behind that, but budgeting your time with school, the, the work, and also after school with practice and scheduling and, and things like that. Talking to my friend, he said he didn't understand there's a whole other side of being a coach. Especially when you're the head coach, you have to do the scheduling, you have to do the budgeting, you have to do a lot of stuff that people don't realize goes into it. The fundraising, having to ask people to support the program over and over again, but also working with uh, personalities. Oh, Not only the, yeah. the youth, but you're dealing with the personalities of the parents. You're dealing with personalities of the community. And, and, and when things go wrong, they go wrong. Like if you don't win, people are, why? They're upset. You know, they're, they're angry. They want to know. And it's, you, you have to deal with all that, but also trying to, um, you know, be yourself at the same time and spend time with your family is important as well. So balancing all that and being a teacher, I don't know how you, you guys do it. I don't know. I don't know yeah. how, how that's manageable. Next time you talk to your buddy, give him a hug, because I'm telling you, being a head coach at any level of any youth sport, uh, or actually just any sport is you're not even a coach anymore. You're a manager. You know what I mean? You're, you're basically an administrator and it's, and I'll talk, you get a coach on the side. Like when you actually coach as a head coach, cause I was the head JV coach for baseball for a little bit. And it's cool when I get to coach, but like you said, it's mainly the phone calls and, and everything else we got to do. So I'm here in the Vegas Valley. I'm a defensive coordinator for one of the local high schools. And one of the guys I respect the most in all of Las Vegas is the guy that's the head coach for the football team I coach for. And I think we broke it down. And yet again, what parents don't know is we get paid 10 cents an hour, 10 cents an hour to coach the youth, not only just coach, get them scholarships to go on to have their own education, to deal with the personalities, to better them as men, in my case, you know, women, I think we're going to have a woman kicker here pretty soon. I'm pretty excited about that one. But um, it's, it's, it's something that is, people don't understand a whole lot of. So I thank you for or those kind words yeah. but yeah give everybody a hug people don't realize coaches get stipends they don't get paid the salary the same that they're getting uh teaching so it's like you don't even get at the start you get at the end 
mm-hmm. for some for some coaches. And so, I mean, that's just you do it for the passion, you do it for the love of it. I do know that uh, Las Vegas does have some pretty prominent high, um, high schools out there that produce a lot of uh, big time athletes. Uh, Bryce Harper, mm-hmm. um, who's a, high. Chris Bryant, um, Chris Bryant, so many. High. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox, a, baby. I think he went to Valley High. And then you got Joey Gallo. A, yeah, you, uh, you guys produce some really great baseball players out of there. And you guys have a really good JC uh, uh, Junior College Baseball League out there. Oh, yeah. College, of Southern, College of Southern Nevada? You're talking about yeah. Mr. Head Coach Nick Garitano? I uh, I taught his kid. I taught and coached oh, his great. kid. Nice. He's a good yeah. that, You know what? If And if you're looking for a place where you're going to be loved, College of Southern Nevada is the place. Coach Garitano is the man. I love him. So just do you mind if I just go on a quick aside with that? No, go ahead. So his kid is, one, the best kid I've ever taught in my life. It, you know, and like there's some times where like teachers bullshit you and they're like, oh, yeah, greatest kid I've ever taught. This is no bullshit. Like I love little Garitano. And I coached him as well. And so while I was coaching him, obviously his dad, big College of Southern Nevada head coach who's produced Bryce Harper, you know, like all these amazing athletes have gone down to D1 and eventually the MLB. He's sitting there watching me coach. And that's a lot of pressure on a dude. He didn't say a single thing. He never once came over and corrected me. He never once gave me suggestions. Like he was really good about like, hey, I might do this. Do what you want. But it, it, like it, I, if I had any parent, that would be the parent. And obviously his kid was just amazing. So He sounds like an amazing person. And that's like a that's what amazing coaches do. I remember watching uh, one of the videos on the on the Manning brothers, and I believe I don't know if it was Tennessee or somewhere where they're trying to bring in Archie Manning to you know ask him for things, and he was just like asleep, like he didn't, he wasn't trying to coach or anything. He was just there to be a parent, and that's what mm-hmm. you need to do is be a parent rather than you know trying to correct other people for it because people are going to coach how they need to be coached, and he could do his own on the side, and that that's what yeah. makes a great parent and great coach. Uh, because then you definitely have the other side where you have a coach or a parent that wants to, that think they're the they're the coach from the stands and they want to correct everything. Oh. I've seen it like that plenty of times. You have a lot of those type of baseball dads that uh you know oh, yeah. overstep the boundaries or overstep the line. Um, that being said, I, I I know Vegas does produce a lot of uh, great talent. For you, uh, what got you into coaching football? So I actually played, I played football in college. So I went to a college, small college out in Nebraska called Concordia. And um, I was, you know, that was kind of my, I, my passion uh, was football growing up. Got blessed with an opportunity to have a scholarship, played out there, got my degree out there in teaching. Vegas and literally before, <laughs> before I even drove in and, and you know, a little baby apartment, um, I was calling the head coach there who's, you know, a big mentor for me now I was like I any position you have on the coaching staff please I need football in my life like I have to have it and originally I was going to be like the JV wide receivers and DBs coach or something like that I show up to the first practice and I had actually had a little college coaching experience as well and so I kind of just stuck around the coordinator at that time and I was you know picking his brain and doing stuff and um, eventually uh, staff and then career elevated from there but yeah I uh my passion's always been football, and I was I was very blessed to be able to get on. I, in my opinion, the best staff in the valley. So I, I love it. Love doing it every day. It's just funny you mentioned that the college I, I do have um, from a girlfriend. She has family that went to that college that you talk about. She oh, has really? family that, uh, that lives in Nebraska, 
And nice. I mean, there's no bigger college in the University of Nebraska, but oh, other than that, great. yeah, that's just that everyone lives and dies by that. Um, but I do know the college you're talking about. It's a NAI. Yep, NAI baby, all yeah, the way. Let's go, it. private D two. I'm gonna claim it's a D two till the day I die. That's D two. What? Uh, that. So you started, you know, your career as you know trying to get on, and then you became a defensive coordinator for the for the high school that um, you're currently uh, working for. Did you play defense in college, or did you play? I did uh, a certain position. I did. I played. I was a linebacker. Um, you can't tell now because Peloton took my entire body from me because trying to do that wedding. But yeah, linebacker, middle linebacker, just plugging A and B gaps and, you know, dropping off and, you know, covering a tight end every once in a while. Um, but yeah, I played, I played high school ball. Uh, I was mainly a linebacker there too. So it was, it was pretty much, I was going to be uh, a linebacker through and through until the, the you know, day I died. And now I, uh, now I get to coach linebackers forever and ever, never, never. And it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I didn't, I, Honestly, I thought you were a safety or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, I, saw, I know. <laughs> I, uh, I saw playing yeah. football like when I was younger. I I, I played a uh, pop Warner, and I, I think I stopped when I was like twelve or something. I remember just um, not being good. I was a safety, and I remember the year that I played and started. I don't think we won a game, and it was because every time they scored a touchdown, I was looking at them scoring because the ball was ready. They were right gone, right right past me. <laughs> So yeah. I was not good at football at all. But you were good at baseball. I, I was okay. Right? Um, I, okay. I was okay. I wasn't. I wasn't the greatest. Um, I had no business playing junior college baseball. But I went to a college that was not that didn't have um, the greatest reputation at the time, and they'd never had a great uh, record. And so I went to play baseball at uh, Gavilan College in Gilroy, as a JC, and. Not knowing, you know, if I'll make it or not, I moved out there with one of my buddies from high school. We both you know, decided to play college baseball, and awesome. um, uh, Neil Andrade was the, you know, the head baseball coach at the time, and you know, he gave me a chance. Yeah, I redshirted my first year, and everyone says, "Don't redshirt, JC." I'm like, "I'm lucky to even be on the team." I was just happy. <laughs> so yeah. I, I I redshirted the first year, and then second year, um, I got my first. Uh, college hit i only got three at bats my whole time my two years hey, being hey, there. so you're you're but telling me you're, I have you're average. point three 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 you're dude, you're above the mendoza an rbi line, have a, yeah. average and that. rba that's the greatest accomplishment i've ever had in my life so like that was one of them <laughs> so i i always uh take that with me but um that being said that it taught me a lot um that those early years i was not about education i didn't i didn't care about going to college for education. I, I wanted to, you know, just play baseball. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't care about anything else. And so going there, I got an opportunity to work with the athletic counselor there. And then also being one of the EOPS programs coming from a low income family, they helped me establish, um, you know, getting with financial aid, learning about the ins and outs of college. And so I moved out on my own, which is a big learning experience for myself. So moving out at 19, having to do everything on my own for the first time. It was a, it was a, it was a gamble and a struggle and it taught me a lot. And I've been out ever since then. And those early years trying to play baseball, I realized like I wasn't cut out for it. So when I went to my second junior college and I was going to play there, um, I got to the point where I could play and I maybe would have, you know, got more at bats. I would have probably maybe started more games or, or not. 
but I had to decide, did I want to take education serious or did I want to take baseball serious? I didn't feel like I was going to go anywhere with it. And I think I hit my limit on where I was going to be at. And it was a hard pill to swallow. And so I had to take 22 units to get to a point where I could transfer to a four year. And so I did it and I don't know how I did it, but I, I got it and I chose academics and sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I would have just stuck it out and played. But then I realized like, for what, like I would have probably had to take a whole nother year of junior college and still wouldn't have been able to play baseball anyways. And like I said, I wasn't the greatest, so I, I wasn't that good. And, and education taught me so much more about, uh, just give me the skill, but also allowed me to go to different places and, and allowed me to start a different a path for myself. One that I never knew about, like, I didn't care about school growing up. I was never the best student. I was the first one in my family to go to college. First one hey, in, right in my family to graduate, you know, just trying to set that path for other people. Um, I didn't have the best grades in college either, but I got it done. Um, hopefully, eight. yeah, I, I, I got to a place where I got to a place where I was able to get that degree and, and hopefully I'm able to go back and, you know, get a master's degree and, and set a, a great example for the younger generation coming up. And awesome. I don't know so how it, it was for you, uh, if you're the first in your family or if you were, um, how it was for you going to college like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's you, you, I'm first and foremost, congratulations. I'm, I'm I, I want to say if no one said it to you, proud of you out of boy, that's, you know, and it, a lot of people don't get that story told because for me, I'll answer your question. I, I'm, I'm, I promise. Uh, education is a great equalizer for me. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. Cause education, like the institution of education, which, you know, is realistically the humans of education t typically don't, you know, we don't poverty. Don't, like it's just, it's, it's the greatest thing to make people more than what they were. And that's, and that's how it was for me. I was always really good at school. Um, the problem was, is that when uh, I was a kid growing up, my, uh, my biological father, you know, was a handful, we'll just put it that way. And so I went to, I believe it was 20 some odd elementary schools. Um, I went to uh, just all over the place. I lived in Nevada, California. I actually period lived in New York. I lived, uh, you know, in, in multiple states and I went to tons of different places just because we're moving city to city, city, city. And while all this like uncertainty going on in my life, what I saw as a like pillar of security and a pillar of something always being there was school and was, was my teachers. And that was something I aspired to be was, was that for other people, for, for kids. Like I wanted to be the, the safety and the security that I needed growing up, you know? And so I was, I was pretty good at school. Um, you know, typical AB student. Uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't like a nerd in, in the sense of like, I didn't like get focused on, you know, all A's and I had to do that. I was a jock. I played four sports <laughs> when I was in high school. I, I played football, baseball, basketball, and I wrestled. Um, and I, I just basically buried my head in, instead of being like burying my head in books, I buried my head in school. Like I would be at the school from, you know, six 30 in the morning till seven 30 at night sometimes. And it, it was awesome because I was, you know, a student body president and I went to a high school, like 400 kids. So <laughs> it's, it's like, it was between like me or like three other people of who would do all this stuff. So, um, but still, um, and then eventually, yeah, I, I really felt the, the need to go get an education and to your point of, um, athletes, you know, and, and, you know, making that choice, they say, uh, every athlete dies twice, every time. Um, I can tell you when my last football game against Briarcliff university, 
Um, I, I turned to my buddy whose name is Brandon Namath. He owns a, an outdoor brand called Audi Outdoor. It's awesome. You get a chance to check it out. It's actually really well priced. But uh, <laughs> we, as we were running off the field one last time, because how it always works is in a college, like your senior game, they usually, uh, our head coach will call a timeout with like 30 seconds left, and he'll have like a, a last hoorah for the seniors, and I'll call them all off the field at the same time. Crowd will cheer and everything like that, say thank you. And then they'll put on the juniors that are going to replace them next year, right? And so as we're coming off, I'm hugging my buddy Namath, and I'm like, dude, I can't believe we did it. But at that time, just like you, like when in that moment, I was like, yeah, it's it's about time we wrap this up. Because my body was, oh, it was destroyed, bro. Like, I, it's every, they say every football game is like 40 car crashes. And I played linebacker, so it was like, it was time for me to wrap it up. So uh, when I got out, I was pretty happy, and I started my educational career. And I'm just like you. I'm doing my master's right now. Uh, I want to become a principal, so I'm doing it in educational leadership and administration. So, yeah, I'm nice. first one in my family to do it. Uh, I came from an extremely poor family. Um, the recession of 08 didn't make it any better. My parents work at a prison and a mine, and um, they're blue-collar people that I love more than anything um, in this world, and they, uh, they're awesome. But uh, overall, yeah, like it's same, same. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, education and sports can be two great, th they could be two great things in a young person's life. And I've seen it happen firsthand and also seen it with a lot of other friends. And I made so many great, I uh, met so many great people on my journey, especially through sports, um, some that I still in contact today. Um, but at the same time, I want younger generation to understand that there is life beyond sports and it's better to plan early than plan late and not be in the position where I know some people that have degrees that they can't use because they got it just to play the sport. And that is another topic for another, you know, like another day. It's kind of messed up and there, there's that route. Some people go, but I'm not here to discourage people from ever going to get, you know, higher education. I just want you to be smart about what you're doing. And, and that do it just to play the sport, do it for both for yourself. Cause you're investing in yourself, both, uh, with through sports and through education. And I wish I would have understood that earlier. I would have took it more serious, but that being said, I got to the point where I'm at now. So I, you know, I, no, I, I can't go and change the past. You know, you always want to yeah. do, like you say, you always want to do better. Um, so that, uh, that is, is crucial for people to understand like what value does public education give to people? Uh, what's your take on um, like Montessori schools? I, I see a lot here in the Bay area. I used to deliver to one or deliver to several of them. And those schools always were interesting to me. They were, I don't know if you under, if you know what those schools are. If you're... Kind of, I'm not going to sit here and like act like I know everything about them, but I okay. kind of understand the concept of them. It's it, Montessori schools, charter schools, all the alternative routes of schooling. It's just a it, different strokes, different folks is the way I put it. You know, private schooling. Um, mm -hmm. I'm an advocate for public education just because I'm a product of public education. Um, but what I, the thing I most want to advocate for is just education in general. And I like how you put, you know, your useful education. Um, and sometimes those choices are made by uh, families based on like what kind of education they want their children to have. A lot, a lot of times when you have a private school person, it's, yeah be the religious aspect or or because a technical aspect to it um charter schools maybe it's just you you generally with the Montessori schools and the the charter schools it's the, the the community wants a more direct connection to the school itself you know what I mean like they want yeah it, right now the way it works is in especially like here there's 
36 to maybe 38 high schools throughout the entire valley. That's just one district. That's in one district. So to make a, a, a change at a high school or at, at a bigger school, it, and it's a lot of paperwork, and it, it just it takes a while, right? It's just that, that that's democracy. It takes forever to do stuff. So when it comes to those smaller schools and those those kind of more privatized schools, they want more direct access to how things are running with their children. Okay, that yeah. that was perfectly summed up. I I get uh, I get that. I don't know too much about it either, so I'm not in a position to to add, um, to critique or. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have no clue. I really don't know. Um, like you said, public education. I've always been through that. I've come from a small uh, high school myself. Um, I think my graduating class was maybe like 200 students. I mean, overall, I think we had a thousand kids at the school, which is small compared to all the other big schools that were in the area. I've, I was a country part of Fresno, so Fresno had some really big schools. But going, you know, to a school in a smaller area, it, we do have our limitations. Um, we didn't have the type of funding that other big schools in the Fresno or Clovis area had, yeah. and. Okay, yeah, I froze for a second. So when I, when I was going to high school, this was about over this is about ten years ago. Um, the school that I was at, I remember we had to share like classroom books, and everyone had a book underneath the desk. You know, that was mm. what we had to share. Like uh, we're very limited on the supplies we had, and and even the extracurricular activities or choices classes we had to choose outside of just like the primary education courses were different. Mm. How was it uh, for Nevada? Um, is there a lot of uh, great funding for education or is it kind of sparse? It's very sparse. Um, and it depends on the area of the state that you're in and what you can get into. So like when I grew up, same deal as you, small high school, we were in the middle of nowhere. Our closest Walmart is 250 miles away. Closest Walmart, 250 miles oh, away. Yeah, yeah nowhere. Um, and But we were lucky because we had some pretty generous donors when it came to like mines. We had two, we had a copper mine and a, and a gold mine out there that were pretty, pretty on top of it. But yeah, same deal. Like we share textbooks underneath. The textbooks are, you know, they don't even have a black president in them yet. Um, they, you know, they're, they were just old. Um, but overall, I think our, our educators did a pretty good job of like adapting to what they had. What we did have that was pretty sick was we had welding and we had like auto shop and we had like construction. That was always cool. I took, I took welding and I like, I, I feel a little bit more like a man now that I know how to weld. But, um, I think here in, here in Vegas, it's the, the, the topic of educational funding is really rough because, <sighs> So I have to go grand to get small to the question. So education is going to be who wants it to be, right? Education reflects community and what the values of a community are. So here in Las Vegas, to be honest, how do we make money? Well, we make money through tourism. We make money through what we call the industry, which is the hospitality industry, going down to the strip. And to be honest, you don't need a ton of to do some of those things like you need you need an education to run some of those places you need an education to do some of the business aspects but you can make a lot of money really young like when you're you know 18 19 20 21 and you're working at some of the clubs you're working at the you know you're working at that pool bar you're you know in bottle service you're a bar like you don't need a ton of education to do that and you make a lot of money so you're stimulating the economy so you know, why would why would a society put money into something that you don't really need a lot of, especially when it's being so successful, right? 
So when it comes to funding education, because we do not have a state income tax and because we have not placed a tax on mines, because we have we have a very low sales tax, um, there's just not a, um, just a little bit, but like it's it, funding is very slim. And we're I think we did a calculation. Our district is like sixty four million dollars in the hole post COVID. So it's and that 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 feels a strain that puts a strain on educators because it's either they reduce the workforce of educators or they make the role and responsibilities of educators more in order to justify retaining their salaries, right? Which sounds ridiculous because teachers aren't paid anything as they are and they're talking about cutting back on salaries or adding more duties. Think about it this way. In an average school day, I can be a, I am a coach, I'm a teacher, I'm a counselor at some realms, I'm a scheduler at some point, I'm a family advocate at some point, I, I could be a nurse, some kid cuts themselves in my class, I need to know first aid CPR. Um, I can be a, I have to be a, now a COVID specialist. I have to be like a CDC advocate. Um, and these are all just like responsibilities that we take on and we don't necessarily always have funding in order to do all the things that we need to do. So, um, a lot of the time we, our AP teachers have been begging for new books for, I think, since I've been at the school we're at, um, we have been, you know, we've been asking for funding for improvements to school security so uh, you know more maybe more cameras maybe more you know uh, you know, I don't know metal detectors uh, a better system that way we've been asking for more funding for technology that's the biggest one is we're so technologically kind of behind when it comes to a lot of other states it's at the detriment of some of our some of our students so it's the right to answer your question it's rough and it's because so you go ahead so you said that the state of nevada is ranked 50th in uh, education, um, yeah. you know, statewide, statewide. So are you seeing more uh, students being enrolled in, in like private, you know, the private school, the charter schools, rather than going into the public edu education pool? Is that affecting the funding as well? Yeah, so that can. Um, it's a great question. Uh, so what's funny is that we're number seven overall, or no, sorry, we're number 50 overall for public, we're number seven overall for private. And so our mm -hmm. private school system here in Nevada is dope. They do a great job with that. But there's a lot of money, and especially in Las Vegas, there's tons mm -hmm. of money. So, and when you're a private, you don't have to go. I mean, like the calls, the, the, you just go there. Maybe there's a board of regents that you have to talk to, whatever. You can fund it however you want. So, yes, to answer your question, you're seeing a lot of people pull and go towards, you know, private education here in Nevada, and that does affect how the public, but also the public school systems here in Nevada, or the public schools, especially like high school level, are really overpopulated. Okay, so at our high school, you said you went to a small school of like a thousand kids. We are up to mm -hmm. like 3,400 kids. I have 55 students in my world history class. 55 kids, that's a lot of kids. And have an idea of like how they break down, how much they give a school. So the, the, I'll just kind of explain. So the, how they, you, you, as a student, you're given a number, right? Like you're given a dollar amount that you are basically worth that they're willing to give the school. So in California, I think the number amounts like 13K. That's the average across all of America is 13K per student. And then based on how many students you have go to your school, the, the, you know, the powers that be assign that amount of fundage so that you can run your school. In Nevada, the average amount for a student is $6,800, nearly half of what it is for the national average. So when you have a, a public school that is overpopulated and vastly underfunded, you start to see the discrepancies when it comes to like educators that are there, what they're willing to, to put up with. You're starting to see, you know, buildings that are decrepit, buildings that are, you know, aren't well taken care of. I mean, the high school I'm at is pretty well taken. They do a pretty good job there, but 
you can see it. But a lot of what we do is a lot of private donors, really. So students don't want to go there. You know, you, you know, things look bad. Teachers aren't, you know, up to par. And so they'll just be like, okay, well, I'll just buck up here, send my kid to a private school, and they're going to have all these amazing facilities, all these amazing opportunities. To be honest, as a parent to be, I would, you know, I might have to do that too. If it, if it comes down to it, if my little girl comes out and she's, you know, this dope athlete brainiac, and she's kind of stuck in a position where maybe the high school's hindering her progress, and I'm not a teacher, I can, you know, I'm willing to say this, I'll probably have to privatize her, and that's okay. Do what's best for your family. So. Yeah, and so now people are put in that position. Um, the the only thing that I I see, especially when you grow up in like low income areas, is that people that with, without the access or without the, the monetary funds, they're not going to be able to do that. And so you're going to see the overcrowd of, the, of these uh, institutions or these high schools. Um, and you're going to start seeing either continuous decline or either improvements through funding. Something has to change. And because people will, like yourself, they will put, if, even if they barely are making it or barely stretching it, they will go whatever is best for their child. And there's nothing wrong with that. you having the best trying to have the best education for your, for your child um, going forward. I mean, if I was in the same position, I'd probably do the same as well because um, I understand the importance of it. But it's it's like, how do we make it more efficient and more better for people that don't have that option? So that's, that's the... Is the only thing that you... So that you know they say you can't solve problems by throwing money at it? Education mm -hmm. is the only problem you could ever solve by just throwing money at it. Um, and okay, so you talk about low-income areas. How do we make that discrepancy different? Literally, you fund education better. Literally, just give education more money. Do you know how much money America makes? We are a machine, especially after World War II with the industrial military comp... Or the uh, military industrial complex, excuse me. We all... Oh, we are the leaders of the world in GDP. We're the leaders of the world in production made goods. Like we have money. The problem is, do you know how much of the national budget is placed on education? So think about this. Per year, every single year, 100 million students are pumped through the public educational system. Do you know how much money goes of, of our entire budget goes towards that? A grand total of 6%. 6% of a third of our population. So 6% of our total dollars goes to a third of our population. Our military makes 34%, okay? Yeah. Big tech, big banks make 26%. Think about that. Think, where are we placing our values? So what you're telling me is that, like you said, like you're seeing it, you, we had an amazing conversation before we started this podcast about the gentrification and the uh, developments when big tech, when it happened in San Francisco, now happening in Austin, that's where we're placing our values. So how do you make education more efficient? How do you make things better? Literally give it more money. Make, okay, why do you think doctors are so good in America? Why do you think? Because they get paid $200,000 a year to be good. Everyone wants to do it. So if everyone wants to do it and you have really high standards, you're going to have the best. The cream rises to the top. Imagine if we did that with education. Imagine if teachers were $100,000 a year job. How good would your teachers be? How amazing would our schools be? But no. Instead, we want to just, it, all the education system is, it's, it's a required thing. You got to pump them through, right? It's just, you got 12 years of this. We don't care. Just make sure you get through. And it, you take what you take, right? Well, that's a bunch of baloney, bro. But, but, and so then you create a system as well, like in uh, Nevada, for example, is that, like I was mentioning earlier, you have low income students that don't have that option. 
but you have these private schools or these other entities that are that have the capability of sucking out the talent. So if there's students that are doing really well, they're going to do them, give them a scholarship. I've seen it done in Fresno. They right. take the athletes from these low income areas and that go to these high schools that don't produce, that are underfunded, that have horrible systems and reputations. And they'll see the best athletes and be like, hey, you want to come to our school? We'll give you uh, we'll give you a scholarship. And so all your best athletes are taking people that um, all the best students that uh, do really well, they get taken. And then you have these other high schools that are like university high schools that are part of like the co local colleges mm -hmm. there too. And so they take their talent, they take all the talent pool. And so now you have uh, a situation where you might not have, you might have like one or two outstanding students in an entire uh, student body class. And then you have a situation where you have overcrowded classroom with 55 students, which Maybe doable on online um, learning with mm -hmm. class because you're able to control it a little better. But trying to be in a situation where you're trying to teach to 55 people in person, it's difficult, especially for the youth. It's difficult for teachers to do that in college, um, especially with like junior college and stuff. I, I've seen teachers have a you know struggle with that because uh, people are just the maturity levels are just not there. Mm -hmm. um, and so now you're trying to put a teacher that's not making that much in that position to, you know, make the best of it. And so where, where do you go from there? That That's, that's the, that's, it sounds like, why would anyone want to be in that position? Why would anyone want to be exactly. a teacher if you're not giving the resources? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? Well, eventually, you know, I always say that teachers are the dumbest smart people that we have in America. Like we really are because at what job would you ever do that, right? Okay, if you had to deal with 55 people in a room for an hour, try to teach them something. On top of that, you have X, Y, and Z. And then, oh, and by the way, <laughs> educators are one of the few jobs where parents are allowed to come into your office or people are allowed to come into your office, critique you to your face, and you have to take it into consideration. And there is no ramifications on the other side, right? Imagine if I came into your office. Imagine if I walked into your place of work and I was like, you know what? I really feel like this isn't how you should. You should do that Excel sheet this way. That's how that should be done. And you would have to sit there and be like, yeah, okay, no, I'll think about that. No, you'd be infuriated. It, actually, what you'd probably do is be like, get the fuck out of my office, right? So it's, it's just one of those things where th this is why the education system is just falling by the wayside. Do you know that the, the number, the rate of educators leaving the profession right now is doubled since the beginning of online learning? Doubled. It was already really bad. It was like, I think the turnover rate here in Vegas was like 33%, which means that every single year, one third of teachers at a school, any given school, will not be there the next year. They will go to another school. They will get out of the profession. Now think about this with COVID, that number is closer to 45. So that means that every single year, half of your staff is going to flip and turn the page. It's crazy. It's crazy. So do you think if it gets worse, do you think um, they will go away from the public education system into a privatized system? I think I, so with COVID and, and sadly, I think we were the bearers of our own deaths. I think we kind of dug our own graves. I, I wouldn't say a grave, it's very dark. Um, I think how we've shown that we can make public education an online thing. And it's already happening. There's other programs called Apex. There's other programs mm -hmm. called Salt Labs where it's like, you can go on and you can basically take these courses. They're all computerized, pass them, and then they'll get you a degree, right? And so. 
I think, and I always made this as a thing, how much money can a community save if we realistically shut down schools and just left certain facilities open? You can make, you can save a lot. And on top of that, school security. That was a big deal before COVID, right? Like, how do we stop school shootings? Well, you just don't have schools, you know? And I think we, I think what you're going to see is a privatized system. I think there's going to be three different levels pretty soon of education. Elite, which is like the private school system that you see now where it's in person, but those teachers are going to get paid right like yeah. if you're gonna actually you're gonna get paid you're gonna have vocation which is something i advocate for heavily i think that we need more need vocation we need yeah i think we need uh I need, we need farmers i went to nebraska we need welders we need you know tradesmen in america because they're dying off quickly um so that'll be one and then i think we're gonna have like online either public education where it's all online and that's just you know what you do and then you club out all the sports because think about baseball is already basically a club sport you know what I mean? Football, California was the first one to do it. We can have club tackle football, right? Um, and then, like, that, the subsection of the online public school system will probably be an in-person school system, but it's going to be a behavioral school system. You know what I mean? Like, that kids yeah. that are, you know, get in trouble with the law, a prevention before apprehension kind of deal, they're going to put them in, in that kind of schooling. Yeah, that's scary to think about. Um, it's – I don't know if it's something that's actually going to fix – the issues we have or it's just a way to be more like cost effective but at the same time you see these um privatized like um s schools that are just focused on ath um athletics like igm or what is it called I img img yeah. academy of florida you have i think you have one in um in nevada as well there's like uh, there's like these yeah. big yeah so these these big like prep schools that are just all athletics they live there room and uh, room and board they have like personal trainers they have it's like crazy that's a new wave like if you want to be the top athlete in the country if you want to go to the best schools these are the schools you go to and they recruit heavily um to to bring in some of the best athletes in the world or actually in the united states um to come there and they compete and they compete on a national level it's no more just playing your rivals in the state or rivals in the county or even in your school district. National these people, state? these people are playing on national television um, across the country, and I always thought like that was so crazy to me. Like, I didn't even know people could do that, and it, I see that like that started something as well. Like, why is someone going to go to a regular high school when if you're the best athlete, if you think you're the best athlete in your state or you're the best athlete in your area? Why you can why not go to the best school to get the best it's opportunity? It's not even in your state. It's not even in your area, bro. It's national. Come on now. Or, you think they're well, not going to places and saying, "Hey, you come out to Vegas, we'll take care of you." Come on now. Yeah. Well, that's that's it. That's that's where, um, that's what some people are starting to do. I know. I think back home there's a couple athletes that that done that already for basketball. Um, I just remember reading up on it. Like they just leave their senior year to go to one of these schools to elevate them even more um to get to a certain level and it's like yeah you start seeing that in, in different um aspects of schooling oh uh, but you did touch on one top uh on one topic that i think is very important is that's uh, vocational and technical training schools that they do need to be more accessible to the communities especially communities that are devastated by what whether it's gentrification or devastated by job loss through the uh, manufacturing um moving to uh, overseas or moving to other countries because there's a big void in this country as far as having um, those type of uh, blue-collar work there's not enough well there's not enough uh, people that are um, 
the training that that's needed is it's it's something that we can do as a country um yeah. and it will help get, people develop try to get a plumber bro try to go get a plumber right now see how much it costs you yeah it's very exp- it's, they're very expensive i i mean we i live in like a older apartment building and uh, we have to we call our landlord and he's he knows like someone that comes and they do it like affordable but when we try to do it on our own because our, our landlord was like out of um, he was not in the state or something at mm-hmm. the time this is like uh this is like right before covid happened um we tried to get our own uh, own plumber and it was like 300 bucks and we're like what the heck all we needed just like to unclog the yeah. the drain like it's not like what's what's going on and that was just like yeah three something blah, blah blah and i was like i realized like oh a lot of this is expensive we called a um someone to come fix the door lock because the the door uh, the door knob malfunction mm-hmm. and that was like a hundred and like sixty bucks mm-hmm. it's like i was like damn how much are these people making like there, there's some supply there's demand money supply there's money demand. in it uh my dad owns a hvac company and nice. uh he he makes you know pretty good money doing that but that there's not a lot of people that you know work in those fields and that, that takes a lot of technical training as well you have to go and learn about the units and and it takes some type of uh, education requirements behind that. And growing up too, like the school I went to, we had a like wood shop. We had a a farm, a little farm in the back. Like we had an FFA program and stuff. And I didn't realize not everyone has that. I thought like every school had that. And I, when I moved to the bigger cities, I was realized I was like, oh, you don't have that here. But you have other stuff too. You have other cool things that we didn't have. You guys had like coding programs and all this stuff we didn't even know what coding was when i was in high school i didn't know any of that stuff so but then there's an emphasis on people trying to push while they don't need to do technical vocational training they just need to do coding or they just need to do programming or they need to do this and that i'm like how can we can't have both how are you going to put people in like areas like uh like say northern nevada where there's mining and, and there's it's kind of like there's not a lot of big businesses out there. You want to push people to just only do coding there? Like, no, I, don't, yeah. it, I don't understand. It's a it's a community-based thing. And the, the, the reason that, you know, you have specific, you know, things at a school. So, for example, the school I'm at, we have robotics, right? And it's because a lot of our kids end up going, you know, in Vegas, there's like Tesla plants here left and right. And it just depends on the, the area. So we had welding. We had wood shop. We had construction. And we had those things because it's a reflection of the mine. It's a reflection of, like, you know, the skills you're going to need out there. So sometimes the educational system works that way. But I'm a huge advocate for, like you said, opening up more opportunities specifically in area. Okay, so for maybe we don't need welding in or maybe we don't need ffa in the middle of vegas i would say that's probably yeah. something we don't need but i would say maybe welding would be something that we definitely need to open up i would say for sure we need uh, an auto shop at least because i mean have you seen the cars around here people can make a lot of money working on vehicles out here and also not every student's the same like a student maybe doesn't want to get pushed towards a four-year university right a lot of students are really good at building and they're very analytical thinkers when it comes to mechanics and they're they're very good when it comes to trying to solve problems with their hands and sometimes that tactile learning doesn't get to happen in a classroom or in that college four-year setting and i think honestly we need to open up the biggest thing that i always say we need to open up is apprenticeship programs i think that we need to give students an opportunity right away to have a professional connection when they get out i i wrote a whole master's paper on this i i designed a course and basically your senior year you should be given 
given half the year where you have to get basically a jump start on life. You go in, you need to set up a bank account. You have to know how a banking statement works. You need to understand the basics of credit cards. You need to understand what a credit score is. You need to understand uh, also how to build that professional portfolio. What does a resume look like? What does it look like to go through an interview? Um, and then on top of that, we need to give you connections to your community that are going to help you right away. And some people are going to say, well, that's kind of invasive. Like, shouldn't the parents be doing that? Let's just call a spade a spade. Parents aren't doing it. Or parents don't know how to do it. And exactly. as, as, as the school system... If we want to get better, we need to be better. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to sit here and advocate all day to say that America needs to give us more. But also, I'm going to be the same guy that turns around and says, we need to do more. Like, you know, basically, schools are synagogues, right? And we need to press out into the community. And we need to be a representation of that. So in Vegas, why why in the world don't why, why don't high schools, if we're going to just do what we're doing, why don't we have some sort of hospitality business program throughout all of our high schools? Why isn't it that, okay, so if you want our industry to be the industry, why don't you teach kids how to make money in our industry? Why, why aren't you, why are you just making them bartenders? But I, you, you know why that is. Yeah. Why would you want more competition? You know what I mean? Why would you go out and actively make the people that are going to compete for you, right? And when it comes to like schools in California, I think FFA is awesome. I'm talking to someone next week on the podcast. She works up in Montana. She does the same thing. She does welding. She does FFA. She does all this, nice. you know, kind of, yeah, trade-based programs. And I think that's like super important. And agriculture, the breadbasket of America, I think is, is a big thing we need to, to talk about when it comes to like, especially Midwestern learning, when, it, when we talk about rural kind of areas in California, when we talk about rural areas in Nevada, we talk about rural areas in Utah, Arizona. These are things that need to be, need to be well-funded, to be frank. Yeah, I mean, one of the worst things about high school is that they never taught us about interest rates. And I think it's criminal to send an 18-year-old to college, especially low income, and have them, <laughs> have them sign loans and realize and not realize what interest rates interest rates mean, meant. And you're signing these loans and you're thinking like, oh, I only have to pay, like if you take a loan for 10000 thinking like, oh, I'm only going to have to pay $10,000 back plus like a little bit and realize like, oh, now I have to put that 10,000. I'm have to pay $18,000 back. Yep. And it, you're, well. you're, you're taking these huge, one of the biggest investments you're ever going to risk, you're ever going to take in your life. And you're doing it like at 18, 19 years old and with no education behind it. It's that's the mess up system about our, our, our educational system, the higher learning educational system, because higher educational our higher education is very important and you need it to advance, you know, societies and also people to, to pull them out of poverty, but you can also dig them a hole at the same time and put them in a different, different type of poverty where you're, you're working just to hang on. And it, it's, it's a mess up system. Yeah. And so sometimes I have a hard time, uh, uh, suggesting for individuals to go to college. Uh, not that I don't want them to go to college, but I want them to pick the right major uh, that I see them, you know, being successful, but at the same time, I feel like I'm shouldn't be advocating or I shouldn't be, you know, I should allow people to make their own own choices. Cause I didn't want anyone doing that for me. Um, that being said, I working in the city or San Francisco, we have a huge union uh, unions here and everyone's really prideful of being in unions. Um, especially construction unions here. And I would, part of my job, I would help people get um, into the trades or getting established back into union if they've ever been. So I would get people that worked in construction. I would get them set up with the union, get them some testing and 
they would get into unions out here, especially if they did rebar, which is really hard work. But mm -hmm. if you're a journeyman level rebar, you can make forty five to fifty five dollars an hour here yep. in San Francisco. Like it was, there was good money to go around. It's kind of dried up now with um, COVID and everything. We'll see how the mar market turns, build especially when the construction builds back up again. I mean, it's slowly building back up, but for a while we're building luxury apartment after luxury apartment. And if you did rebar, if you did any of the um, the glacier where you're putting the the windows in the in the buildings. The people are making really good money doing that and that didn't take no college education it did take some training though and it took you some years of experience but that starts but people don't know about you know these type of jobs or they don't think these type of jobs um are valuable or can earn them a really good living they could and they will but it's about making sure that the right type of person that suits them not just saying you need to only do this and you can't get no college education because college education is not going to do nothing for you. Or you can't do this vocational type of job because that's never going to do nothing for you and you need to have a college education only. That's where I find where I'm kind of like, what works best for the individual? I don't know. I'm, I'm not that person, I guess, to figure that out yet. But I know there's smarter people than me that can make that determination or to help people guide them in a certain way. Yeah. And you know what, this is going to be a deep dive that we're definitely going to, I'm going to put a pin right there in, in this whole deal. And I'll, my, because my wife is calling me like it's breakfast time right now. She's like, Oh, oh uh, no, no problem. You're, no you're, problem. Good, you're good. I'm going to have you on my pod. We're going to just, we're going to pick up because this is a great conversation to have my surmising thought with it is um, you're right. You can't ever tell someone what they need to do with their life, but you can always provide examples from your own. And guess what? It never hurts to have more information. It never, ever hurts to be more educated on something. So, for example, I just learned something from you. You know what I mean? We've been talking about what it's like to live in San Francisco and you doing your work. I didn't know that before. And it, the more information that you gather, the better, the more informed of a decision you're going to be able to make. And I think that that's, the, that's also the crux. And I agree with your whole concept on predatory loans. The surmising thought is that America's a business, colleges are businesses before anything else. You know what I mean? And... The whole idea of student loans is definitely something we'll, we will touch on because I got I got, I got the whole like, uh, was it uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia? And Charlie has like the little like strings everywhere. Mm -hmm. I have that whole uh, thing on student loans with Sally Mae. So we'll talk nice. about it. I appreciate for coming on. Uh, we'll pick this up another time. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, check out Public Education, the podcast, available anywhere podcasts are and as well on YouTube. Thank you. And of course, buddy. All right. Have a good one. Live up to logic, you bust I dodge it. Think you see me now? You just mirage it. I'm gunning, I'm gunning like a semi-automatic. That's putting your quip with lyricism to let them have it. I blast it. Any style that you coming at me with, I mask it. I sun motherfuckers, then I'm out on you bastards. Psych. I'm just playing with y'all. Yeah, you know I had to keep it going. Kick rhymes that blow minds and see foreign. Real, recognize real, and you looking foreign. I was spitting flows before I was even born in the womb. And I'ma keep it up until the tomb. And as for the fame, yeah, I know it's coming soon. Cause I'm going in raw.